Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand. We would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here. It's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here. We've all got to give a little here. Big and small here. There's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here. We all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here. There is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here. Everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. So last week, we talked about what is necessary for any of us to live authentically. And I suggested there are three things necessary. The first is you recognize that God loves you just as you are. No changes requested or demanded. You are loved, period, just as you are. And one of the reasons that's so critically important is because the work of self-love is significantly difficult work. Self-love means, first of all, stringent self-examination. Because if you know you're loved by God, well, now you have the strength to be able to dig into yourself and see the parts of yourself that might not be always so lovely. Stringent self-examination. So this past week, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, I had this self-revelation that came to me. By the way, if you were here last week, on top of the three that had come from outside in the 10 days before that, I'm just saying. But I had this kind of self-awareness that I took to my therapist, who I've had since, I think, 120 years now. Um, and you know, I, I said to her, hey, I've discovered this thing about me. Now, you know, you, you know you have a good therapist if right away they would say to you, oh, no, no, actually, that's not true. Instead, she's like, oh, well, tell me more. And I told her more. And then she said, well, now that you know it, you can't unknow it, can you, Paula? And it's true. She said, you can't claim ignorance any longer. You have this new piece of awareness. And so you need to live your life with that new piece of awareness. That's stringent self-examination. That's a part of self-love. Another part of self-love is being open to challenge from the outside. Now, I can tell you how to know when you're not open to challenge from the outside. Somebody tells you something that they want you to know that may not be a strength of yours, and you immediately attack them or defend yourself. That is not being open to challenge from the outside. What should you do? Take it in and then sleep on it. If you sleep on it, by the next morning, it will have dropped below your ego level to your soul level. Our egos will always be defensive. They will always reject what we hear. But once you let it go deeper into your soul, well, now you can actually fairly determine whether or not it's something you should listen to, something you should ask others about, or something you should ignore. Open to challenge from the outside. These things are difficult to love yourself. Second thing I said last week is it's important to learn to embrace the world as it is. Not as we wish it would be, not as we work to make it, 
but as it actually is. Don't know about you, I'm having a very difficult time with that right now. What's happening in Afghanistan, the horrible human tragedy we see unfolding there, the wildfires in California and Oregon, the political divide that exists in our nation, everything going on with COVID. You know, I used to start every day reading pretty much all of the New York Times and all of the Washington Post. I'm a bit of a nerd that way. But over the last month, I have not been doing that. Instead, first thing in the morning, I go outside, sit on my deck in the back, which if you've been to my house is gorgeous, and I write on two pages. On one page, I write in my journal gratitude, the things I'm thankful for that day. And on the other page, it's stream of consciousness, which just can be anything. I find right now, if I'm going to be able to embrace the world as it is, I have got to have that absolute grounding before I find out what's happening in the world through the Washington Post or the New York Times. It's difficult to embrace life as it is. And of course, the third thing I said last week is we have to acknowledge that most of life is not lived at the beach or in an alpine meadow. Most of life is lived in the swamplands. And so we accept the reality of those moments that this is a time we have lessons to learn in the swamplands. And we accept the reality there. And I've noticed if you're able to do those three things, love yourself, embrace the world as it is, and accept that a good bit of life is lived in the swamplands, a few things happen to you, change in your life. You find you do have fewer friends, but you also have deeper friendships. You find you look less outside yourself for your sense of who you are, and you look more often deep within your own soul to find the sense of who you are. And one of the things I've discovered as someone who always likes to be right, you discover that being right is not nearly as important as being in relationship. All of these things, I think, help us to embrace vulnerability, to live authentically, and to be ready to accept our call. Because this week we talk about what we can do as a church outward, what we can do to serve our community outward, and the truth is, I'm clueless as to what we can do as a church to serve our community outward. That's because we have to decide that together. That's something for all of us to do. This I know, though. I need to know what I need to do to be prepared to participate in that process, to be prepared to take what I have and give it as an offering to others. And the first steps in that are realizing where you have been called, the shadow side of your call, and a reconfirmation of your call. So it's the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has been with his disciples for quite a while. He asks them, who do you think that I am? None of them answer the question. They beg the question. They say, well, some people say you're maybe John the Baptist reincarnated or one of the prophets reincarnated. And he's like, no, not what I asked. Who do you say that I am? Only one answers. It's Peter. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, oh, yep, yep, that's it. And now, Peter, your call. You are a forward-facing, public-facing person. You are outspoken. You are even blunt. And there's a job for you to do. You're going to be the very first one to speak publicly to get my message underway after I'm gone that we need to love God, love neighbor, and love self. This is your calling to preach the first gospel message. That's the call. We all recognize what our call is. Second is to recognize the shadow side of your call. 
very next chapter, though sometime later, 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, Peter, James, and John have gone to the top of the mountain, Mount Hermon. And they get there, and the three of them fall asleep. Jesus doesn't. They wake up, and things have changed significantly. They're no longer there alone. Now they're there with Moses and Elijah. Now let's be very clear. Moses and Elijah have been dead for centuries. So you wake up and you see this. What are you going to do? You're going to do what James and John did. You're just going to go. That's what any of us would do, but not Peter. Oh no, because you see, your call, your strength, will always let you know what your shadow side is because your shadow side is your strength taken to an extreme. So what does he do? He starts talking. He says, hey, I got this idea. We're going to build three tents up here to protect you guys from the elements, particularly since the two of you have been dead for a few hundred years, and this will be great. And then God speaks up. Ever have somebody tell you that you kind of need to be quiet? I've, I've had somebody tell me that, I think, at least twice in the last 10 days, because I'm one of those forward-facing people who speaks first, thinks later. But I've never had God talk audibly to me, because God speaks up and says, I'm God. This is my son, Jesus. You're Peter. If I'm not mistaken, no one told you to talk. Peter's understanding now his shadow side that it's all right to have an unexpressed thought. This is difficult for some of us to understand. Oh, no, you need to know what we think, but it's actually all right to have an unexpressed thought. This is his shadow side. But now we go to the reconfirmation because things get worse. He tells all the disciples, because he speaks much too quickly, that he's a stronger supporter of Jesus than they are, but then he's the first one to leave when something happens and Jesus is taken away. And he knows he's failed Jesus miserably, and then we talked about this passage last week. John 21, Jesus, in front of seven of the disciples, says to Peter, Peter, do you unselfishly love me more than the rest of these guys? Oh, Peter, he's not only aware of his shadow side. Now he's aware of his utter failure. He's wondering, I mean, does Jesus even want me to preach this message now after what I've done? And so, no, he knows he can't see I unselfishly love you. So he uses a different word for love. He says, I have tender affection for you. I like you a lot. <laughs> Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. Second time, he says to him, do you unselfishly love me? Peter a second time says, I like you a lot. Jesus says, tend my lambs. Third time he says, do you love me? Uses Peter's word. Do you like me a lot? Peter grieved. Because he realizes he's being accepted. He says, yes, I like you a lot. And Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. What he's saying to all seven of them is, you've been called. You have a responsibility. You all also have a shadow side, a part of yourself that is not a strength. But I'm telling you, you're called anyway. I need you to feed my sheep. They get it. So where are you called? That's what I want to talk about now. 
Where are you called? You say, I'm not called anywhere. Oh, but you are. You know, we talked a lot in the first two years of the life of this church about the hero's journey, and I was going to kind of skip through that tonight and realized a lot of you are new and haven't heard us talk about that. The hero's journey is common to every age, every culture, every language, always has the same elements. An ordinary citizen, that would be us, is called onto an extraordinary journey onto the road of trials. And initially, they reject the call because it is, in fact, the road of trials. Most of us aren't stupid. We do not willingly say, hmm, there's the easy road and there's the road of trials. I'll take the road of trials. So we reject the call. But now we're miserable because we know, we know, we've been called. And so a spiritual guide comes into our life, a, a Yoda, and gives us the courage to answer the call. Nope, kind of like Jesus with Peter that day. Yep, nope, you don't get to claim your ignorance. You don't get to claim your inadequacy. You're called. And so they answer the call. And sure enough, they're on the road of trials. It's hard. And then it gets worse. They find themselves in a deep, dark cave where the true way is wholly lost, what John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. They've lost their way completely, and this is when they discover lost is a place too. There are things they learn about themselves there they couldn't learn any other way. Finally, they get out of this deep, dark cave and back onto the ordinary road of trials. They get to the, to the prize of great price, the Holy Grail. They bring it back, present it as an offering to those from whom they have departed. Now they're free to move on. Everyone is called onto the hero's journey. Most of us are called onto the hero's journey multiple times. But all of us are called onto the journey. The question isn't whether you're called. The question is, do you spot the call when it comes? And then are you willing to answer the call? It's okay that sometimes you actually will not. It's all right. Sometimes it might take you years to get around to answering the call. So we knew at the beginning of this church that we would have staff changes within the first two years. And so Jen and Aaron and I began looking for people we could bring on to our co-pastor team that could serve this church. One of the first people we identified was Christy Sykes. We saw that Christy had a couple of abilities we knew we needed in a pastor, that she had a great ability of discernment, that she can figure out pretty quick what's going on in your life. She's very capable at reading situations and knowing what's called for in that setting. But then the other thing we saw was she has a pastor's heart. She is, in fact, a great pastoral counselor intuitively. So with these things in hand, we went to Christy and we said, we think you're called to be a pastor. And she said, okay, I mean, exactly how much was in that gummy that you took a while ago? <laughs> you folks are crazy. There's no way. And we said, no, we've been watching. We've been watching a long time. And we think you're called. She thought about it and finally said, okay. She came on staff. So then we went to John Gaddis and we said, you know, you're a bright guy, you're a, you're a good theologian, even though you've not had the, all of the theological training. And, you know, there are things you're going to have to learn, but we can help you with that. You're, you're good as a communicator, and we really think we need to bring you on staff. And he called me up shortly after and said, yeah, um, no, th that is not my giftedness. I mean, no. And we said, no, actually, it is. And also, though I've not ever heard you, you're going to preach, and I think you're called to do that. And so he came back around and said, 
okay, I will. And then what happens? They're on the road of trials, they're learning their new job, and sure enough, they find themselves in the deep, dark cave. As our church goes through what every new church goes through within the first three years, and kind of here's a terrible reality, most of them don't survive it. We had a very difficult time in the church that lasted for months. And who brought us through that? Well, John and Christy and our leadership council. This was their dark night of the soul. This was when they learned the things that actually prepare us for the rest of our call onto the hero's journey. They did amazing work. The LC and they brought me back on as one of our co-pastors. We realized there was still a hole in our staff. And so I had asked Nicole Vicky to help me with my book. And I knew she had some skills the rest of us didn't have. I knew she had administrative skills that all of us are not so good at. I also knew that she had a pastor's heart. And I also know that she probably had the best facility with language of anybody. If you happen to read her poem at the beginning of my book, you know her facility with language. And so we went to Nicole and said, we'd really like you to consider this. And she said, I can't do this. See, you always actually want that response because you need to come into these things with humility. If you receive a call in your life and immediately you say, oh yeah, that's my call. I'm going to accept that call. It's not your call. It's somebody else's call. Your call is virtually always going to put you in sheer terror because it's going to put you in an uncomfortable place beyond what you might think you're capable of doing, but others see it in you. And so she said yes. And so here we are. I think a stronger church than we've ever been. So how do you recognize your call? Well, where the world's deep hunger meets your deep gladness, that's always where you're called. One more time. Frederick Beekner's words. Where the world's deep hunger meets your deep gladness is where you are called. And you will always be called in the area of one of your skills. Now, we have three different types of skills. The first skill we have, I would call an ability. Something that we're good at, but we don't particularly enjoy. So I do the books for Kathy and my company, RLT Pathways, and I, I'm pretty decent at doing our books. I always have them done the last day of the month. I always have them to our accountant on January 2nd. I'm, I'm pretty good with the books. I hate doing the books. I dread the last day of the month when I know I'm going to spend six hours on the books. That's an ability. We also all have gifts. Now, here's the difference between a gift and an ability. A gift is something you enjoy and enjoy so much that you lose track of time when you're doing it. That's what we began to notice, like with Christy. Saw her just counseling others and realized, oh, this is in fact natural to her. What we saw with John, a great curiosity about theology. Your gifts are the areas in which you have strengths that you enjoy them so much you might lose track of time. One of my gifts is writing. I can really lose track of time when I'm writing, but I'm not a great writer. It's a gift. It's probably not my best gift. I needed Nicole to help me at the beginning of the book. I needed every editor I had in the book. I'm a good idea person. I'm not a great wordsmith, but I would say that's one of my gifts. But we not only have abilities and gifts, we also all have a pinnacle gift. 
Now, your pinnacle gift, you don't get to determine. You're not the one who gets to decide what your pinnacle gift is. It's everybody else, those who love you. They were the ones who will help you decide your pinnacle gift. Because your pinnacle gift will always be the gift that is most affirmed about you. When people over and over say to you, oh, this, this, this is what you're a natural at. That is your pinnacle gift. So where are you called? You will always be called to the realm of your gift or your pinnacle gift. You won't be called to an area of ability. There will be times you have to do that work. I don't think Nicole enjoys all the administrative work she has to do with us, but she's really good at it and the rest of us are not. So there are times you have to work within your area of abilities, but your call will always be in the direction of your gifts and your pinnacle gifts. So that's the question. Where are you called? Well, I wouldn't ask that question if we as a church weren't gonna to try to help you with that. This fall, we wanna help you with that. Christy has found some resources to help us identify where our spiritual gifts lie. We've had some other people come wonderfully into our world who can help us figure out where our work gifts might lie. And we'll be able to take a look at all that and then figure out together where we as a church will serve our community. And then we also can then figure out what is my offering that I can make that will bring that to fruition in our church. As you know, I've memorized, I don't know, 20, 25 poems, maybe up to 30 by now. But it's interesting to me that a couple of the poems that I've memorized, I always have a hard time hanging on to them. And it's instructive to me, the ones I have a hard time hanging on to, because I have a hard time hanging on to them. I have a hard time hanging on to their message. One is David White's poem, The Soul Lives Contented. See, I even forgot its name. The Soul Lives Contented. The soul lives contented by listening. If it wants to change into the beauty of terrifying shapes, it tries to speak. See, that's the call. The soul lives contented by listening. If it wants to change into the beauty of terrifying shapes, it tries to speak. Ah, that is why you will not sing. Frightened you are of who might or might not join with you. Your soul, hesitant, her hand reaching in the dark for yours. She, spirit, touches your face and says your name in the same instant. It's the name you refused to say. It's the name you refused to say. My first clear sense of call the name I refused to say was Paula. My second sense of call was when I came to pastor here, and the name I refused to say was pastor. Often, the name we refuse to say is just simply blessed or loved by God. What is the name that Spirit calls you that you have a hard time hearing? and refuse to say. Let's pray. God, thank you for community, for a place where we can learn to figure out what it means to be human together. Oh, I don't want to say this, but thank you for the swamplands, because it seems more of these calls come to us in the swamplands than they do at other times. 
Thank you. For the fellow travelers on the journey who love us deeply and watch us carefully enough to see where our calling lies, it takes a lot of love, commitment for people to watch us closely enough to see that. And then to risk telling us what that call is since often it's not received with a sense of great joy, but a sense of, oh, well, yeah, you know the word. Thank you for giving us work to do. You knew we needed it. You knew we weren't just here to receive. You knew we need to make a difference in the lives of others. And now, help us determine where we are called. Amen. This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.